Okay, good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here and lovely to see all of you. <clears throat> uh, this morning, I'm gonna talk about a short passage from uh, Dogen, and I've just put it in the chat so that those of you who have access to that can see it and can read it along with me, but I'm also gonna read it out loud twice uh, for those of you who are, don't have access to the chat or are just listening to the recording. The short passage goes like this. We enact the cause and effect that is this world. And we accept the cause and effect that is this world. The time and place that blue lotus flowers open and spread are in the midst of fire and in the time of fire. That's our passage. I'll read it again. We enact the cause and effect that is this world. And we accept the cause and effect that is this world. The time and place <clears throat> that blue lotus flowers open and spread are in the midst of fire and in the time of fire. So um, I'm guessing that um, some of you at least are familiar with that uh, passage, perhaps very familiar. You've probably read that translation of it, perhaps other translations of it. Um, I know I've mentioned it. I've talked about this passage before. I've woven it into various things. Um, that I've talked about over the years. And um, I guess I just, I guess I wanna talk about it again. I notice that my heart keeps circling back to this, to this collection of phrases. It just keeps circling back to it. Uh, and I'm kind of trying to understand why. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll give a talk about it. <laughs> maybe that'll help me get closer to the part of me um, that resonates with this. Um, for, for some reason, I guess, before I launch into anything about it, um, I think part of the reason that it circles back in my head is I find the teaching, the actual teaching in it somewhat challenging, um, somewhat difficult to wrap my head around, even difficult to accept. And yet the feeling tone that I get is, I feel comfort. I feel sort of hope. I think those are the right words, comfort and hope. I'm not quite sure that's an emotion, but you get what I'm saying, right? So it's interesting to have the intellect, you know, that my, my brain be puzzled or challenged by something at the same time um, my heart says yes to something. That seems to happen a lot to me <clears throat> in uh, response to Zen teachings, in response to lots of spiritual teachings, actually. Um, I, I say Zen in particular, not only because this is a Zen setting that we're in right now, but because a lot of the conceptual framework, a lot of the stories, the literature tradition, um, certainly the scripture, is oftentimes puzzling, challenging, um, a, little, uh, a little hard to wrap uh, my brain around. But oftentimes I have an emotional resonance with what's being offered. And so it sets up this weird dance back and forth in me between the brain going, what? Hold on a minute. What? 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 
no, I, no, what? And a heart that goes, oh yeah, say, say that again, I like that. Um, so I'm guessing I'm not alone. Um, that's the only reason I'm saying that out loud. <laughs> it's not particularly interesting to this group that I have that reaction. I'm saying it out loud because I'm guessing that a lot of us have some variation on that kind of reaction to a lot of stuff. Um, the Heart Sutra, especially, is one of our favorite examples in the Zen tradition of the brain being completely flummoxed for quite a while. But it isn't unusual for, uh, for all of us to, to have a, a felt, an emotional, uh, even a body kind of response to something. So it's interesting that we have different knowings, different ways of knowing, and certainly different knowing organs. So for me, the body and the heart really love the verse that I'm going to talk about today. My brain is learning to love it too. <laughs> but uh, the brain was definitely the last one through the door, right? The body and the heart decided that they loved it a long time ago. So I think that's probably why I'm talking about it today. I must need that sense of comfort and I must need that feeling of hope. I'm guessing, or else I probably wouldn't be drawn to it. So I'm going to offer my thoughts on this today. Um, you can see where it takes you, what resonates with you, what meaning you make out of it. Um, I'll just offer mine and we'll see where it takes us. Uh, so we're in retreat. Uh, this weekend at MZMC. Uh, there are 15 of us who are in a, in a silent container for the weekend. And so um, it's wonderful to welcome you all into that container. We talked a little bit yesterday uh, about a quote from Rujing, who's Dogen's teacher. Today we get to talk about the students. The students' thoughts, Dogen being the student is always a nice thing, I think. We're so used to him being a, kind of the exalted master. And I, I much prefer to think of him as um, <clears throat> roughing around in the mud as a student with the rest of us, right? So we enact the cause and effect that is this world. We accept the cause and effect that is this world. The time and place that blue lotus flowers open and spread are in the midst of fire and in the time of fire. So this passage is from Kuge, I'm gonna guess is how you pronounce it, I don't know. Uh, it's translated as flowers of space or flowers in space, usually. Um, and one of the things this piece is talking about, primarily what it's talking about right out of the gate is our relationship to karma. Um, he's not using the word karma, he's using the phrase cause and effect in this translation. I'm not sure who translated this, so. I'm not sure what's in the original, but the choice to put in cause and effect is obviously a, real, is a, a, a description of how we understand karma in uh, the Zen tradition of Buddhism, cause and effect. Things are thusly because of pre-existent conditions. This is this because that was that. That was that because this is this. Cause and effect, right? Not reward and punishment. That's not Buddhist karma. Just cause and effect. The way things build upon each other. We live in an interdependent and interrelated universe. So cause and effect, right? Uh, and he says we enact it, that we accept it. It's an interesting place to start. It's an interesting place to start. We enact the cause and effect that is this world. I think, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I, I get that. We accept the cause and I immediately go, no, 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 hold on a minute. Most of the time I do not, as a matter of fact, accept <laughs> the cause and effect that is this world. In fact, in fact, I spend a great deal of time not accepting the cause and effect that is this world, hence I suffer right out of the gate. Basic Buddhism, right? 
first noble truth, second noble truth. So I love that he says, we enact it, we, we accept it. You're like, wow, that's pretty charitable. <laughs> it's a pretty charitable view. Um, I aspire to accept it. I certainly have moments of accepting it, but I also realize that's the crux of, of the Buddhist response. Can I learn to accept and move on from there? So we enact it, we accept it. We're in it, but we also are it, right? Karma, the thing we call cause and effect, the thing that we call in our tradition karma manifests as us. It is us. It's probably more accurate, perhaps even more helpful to think I am it instead of I'm stuck in it. If I'm stuck in it, then it implies sort of a separation, right? It's a little more accurate when he says we enact it, we are it, you are the activity of karma, right? You are the manifestation of karma. I am the manifestation of karma. That makes sense. I already am it. The acceptance feels like where practice starts. That's going to be more of a stance of the heart, a stance of the mind. Okay, this is where practice is going to start. It's going to start. He also really makes it clear that this world and karma are not two things when he says the cause and effect that is this world. I am a manifestation of karma. You are a manifestation of karma. MZMC is a manifestation of karma. The world in which we're living, this is it. The world is cause and effect. It just is, right? The whole world is the activity of karma, the wheel of fate. This is samsara. The world of cause and effect, the world of dukkha, the world of suffering, the world of the red dusts, the first noble truth. We know all this already. We haven't learned anything new so far. This is the fire sermon. I look around and I see it. I'm in it, I am it. I was born into it and I am it, I see it, right? To be in the human realm, to be in the human realm is to be in form, to be caught, stuck, trapped, in karmic suffering. To be alive now is to be trapped in karmic suffering. Here and now in Dogen's world are not two things. Here and now are the same thing. So that's where we start. Those are the first two sentences. Or I guess the way it's broken down here, the first sentence, we enact it, we accept it. But... Dogen's passage is also about the blue lotus flowers. It's also about awakening and complete freedom. That's why I'm given, I, ex, I experience the emotion of comfort. I experience some joy and some hope when I read this, despite where it starts, right? This is actually about awakening. Hence, our perennial Zen question, the one you've all heard, I'm sure, a hundred different ways, a hundred different times. Who is the one who is not trapped? Who is the one who is not bound to dukkha, to karma, samsara? Right? Perhaps we can ask that perennial Zen question this way. Who watches? Who watches? So we'll make this personal because Zen is tremendously personal. What part of you 
bears witness to your own struggle with some patience, some spaciousness, some tranquility, acceptance, willingness, even joy. What part of you can be in relationship with, hold even, your own resistance, your own fire, your own struggle, your own suffering? With Avalokiteshvara's open heart, with Kuan Yin's compassion, right? what part of you can do that? The part of you that witnesses that which is bound is not bound. That's all, right? Of course you have that part of you. We all do. We're told by this tradition that's actually who we really are. That's our true nature. It makes a lot of sense to me that this has to be something that I experience within my own uh, self in order for this teaching to become real. Otherwise, it becomes abstract. There's a part of you that watches without judgment. That's why we're taught as soon as we come to a Zen center. Um, sit down, observe your body, observe your breath. And I want you to observe it in a particular way. We're going to call it mindfulness to start with because that's easy. Uh, we're going to practice watching without judgment. Just that. Just observe body and breath without judgment. Do you feel like, I, do you sort of understand why that's like training wheels to kind of get to, we're going to observe much more difficult things than just body and breath. And we're going to observe them from, of course, not judgment, but slowly but surely that muscle is going to get stronger and stronger and our capacity is going to get larger and larger and our hearts are going to get bigger and bigger and our understanding is going to go deeper and deeper. And as we hold larger and larger bodies of discomfort and suffering, we're going to be able to hold them with not only not judgment, but deep acceptance, affection, appreciation, kindness, and eventually, of course, compassion, actual compassion, willingness to suffer with it, to be right there in it, to love it, right? Now, suddenly, it's Buddhism, right? So that, that's our question. What part of you? What part of you bears witness to your own suffering with just a little patience, spaciousness? Acceptance, tranquility. Is there any part of you that can say yes to the fire as it is, right? Is there a part of you that can see at least some of your delusion, where you get caught, where you get confused, where you doubt yourself, where you get hung up, right? The core belief that isn't true, the falsehood. Is there some part of you that can recognize that, that habit of mind, with the clarity of Manjushri's sword. Oh, I see it, right? What part of us can just watch our life with some kindness and some clarity? We all have this capacity or we wouldn't be doing this thing, right? If this capacity really was reserved for just the lofty bodhisattvas and Buddhas, we, there would be no point in having a Zen center, right? So that takes us back to Dogen, that takes us back. We notice that we enact our karma. We notice that we enact it. Do you see the difference between enacting and then noticing that we enact it? And then we accept, oh, that's what's happening. Notice, accept. Now the lotus is just beginning to start to open and spread because we're in the realm of our awareness now. We're starting to move down here. 
That's why he ends this little passage the way he does with, it happens now. It happens here. Right? Again, for Dogen, time and space are one thing. He merges them repeatedly. That's not the point of this verse necessarily, although he does reverse the word order. Um, if you're really into Dogen, you'll notice that he says the time and place that the blue lotus flowers open are in the midst of fire and in the time of fire. He reverses the word order, time, space, and then space, time, just sort of to imply the unity there. If that didn't make sense, ignore it. I'm just kind of wanting to pull that in. So when does our enlightenment bloom? When does our awareness bloom? That's all enlightenment is, just kind awareness. I see it. I didn't see it before, and now I do. I didn't notice it before, and now I do. There it is. There's a moment of enlightenment, right? So right now in samsara, right here in this pasture of karma, right in the midst of this world on fire, your world on fire, your big shared world with the rest of us, but your personal world too. I know your world's on fire. Of course it is. You were born. <laughs> Too late. It'll be on fire if you're lucky for 80 some years. That's just the first noble truth. That's okay. That's the thing. This is the human realm, right? So right in the midst of your fire, your own personal life on fire with suffering, there's the pasture. There's the pasture. We don't need to wait for that to change. We don't need to wait for that to change for the flower to bloom. Isn't that fantastic? Thank goodness, because we can't change this much. We have very little influence over that. I'm sure you figured that out. But this, oh, that I have some influence over. Where does it bloom? When does it bloom? Right here, right in samsara, right in the pasture of karma, the burning world, your own dumpster fire life, right? So when I ask, when Zen asks, as it has for 1500 years or however long Zen has been Zen, I don't know. When it asks over and over, who are you actually? Who is this? Where's the free part of you? Where is the Buddha? What was your face before your parents were born? We ask this question a trillion different ways to try to get you to see, do you see the part of yourself that isn't caught? Um, I like to ask myself, and I'm sure one of the reasons I'm talking about this verse is because ever since I was exposed to this verse years ago, I ask, how is this part of me free? I don't get it. I can see that there's part of me that's caught in time, caught in suffering, wanting things to be different, resisting, constricting, ugh, writhing, defending, trying to escape. I get that. That's the human realm. I get it. I get it. But this idea that the part of me that's watching is free, I, I only get that conceptually. It's hard for me to feel that. That's the teaching, but it's hard for me to feel it. So my teachers have taught me that the reason that part of you, Busho, is free is because your awareness, your awareness itself, your awareness isn't bound. That part isn't bound, right? Enlightenment, that's just a fancy word for awareness, right? Enlightenment isn't shackled. It isn't shackled to anything, and it isn't shackled to anyone. That's why it's not yours. That's why it's also entirely yours, but that's another talk, right? It's not trapped in that sticky amber of space-time, of karma that Dogen starts us off talking about. I think that's why when he gets to the freedom part, it feels so good. 
You start by talking about that which is trapped, and then you talk about that which observes that which is trapped and understands it and has its um, compassion naturally arise, has its wisdom naturally arise in relationship to the thing that is caught, in relationship to samsara, right? Truth is another thing that's not caught by time and space. Have you noticed that? Big truth, capital T truth. When you've read truths in scripture and books and you've heard people say something that you knew you could feel it in yourselves resonated was deeply true. You realize, oh, this isn't caught by space and time. This isn't culturally true or right. Big true. You can just feel, oh yeah, that's free. That's free. I can actually feel that it's true, that it's free. Right. In our tradition, we have a word Buddha. Buddha is the one who is not trapped. Buddha is the one who is not trapped. And your awakeness is Buddha. The free part of you, the actual you, right? Compassion, wisdom. Avalokiteshvara's nectar, Manjushri's sword. They're outside of time, beyond birth, beyond death. That's where the lotus flower opens. That's why both the nectar and the sword can um, cut one into two and can cut two into one. Right? That's why it's said in this tradition that both the nectar and the sword can both give life and take life. They're outside of karma. They're outside of the wheel of fate. They're outside of birth and they're outside of death. Right? So... I'm aware that as we're gathering this morning in January of uh, 2022, we're in the midst of kind of a renewed vigilance around the pandemic, uh, renewed lockdowns, lots of things closing back up again. A lot of us experiencing frustration, um, lots of constriction, lots of resistance. We feel that. We feel that fire in ourselves, don't we? We certainly see it. Five minutes with the newsfeed shows us the fire, right? So we might not like our karma. We might not like it. We might not like the fact that our lives are on fire, that they kind of always have been, that we have brief respites, but then it starts up again. That's how we experience the human realm, mostly. Uh, we might not like that, but this is it. This is, this is everything. Uh, I've always appreciated, I've always appreciated, I, I guess it feels brave to me um, that Buddhism starts everything with your life is characterized by suffering and everybody gets it. And that's just the deal. <laughs> the first noble truth. I'm just like, God, that's bold. I really appreciate just like, let's just say this. Let's just call it what it is. This is the deal. This is why we're all here. This is why we're all struggling. This is why we're all looking for answers. This is the nature of our experience. This is the hallmark. This is the bedrock. Wow. It's tough to be a person. It's tough to be a, a person. Lots of resistance, lots of struggle, lots of saying no to what is. Even when we know that hurts us, we still do it. Wow. That's hard. That's just hard. This is my karma. Damn it. <laughs> So I get, I get that we don't like it. I get that we don't like it. I think that's why we're offered the Bodhisattva vows. It's the kind of compass of Zen that lives down here. 
the heart of Zen is the, the Bodhisattva vows. And they don't instruct us to prefer being uncomfortable to being comfortable or to prefer, you know, Zazen over sitting on the TV and watching, uh, watching your favorite uh, Netflix binge and eating ice cream. It's not asking you to prefer. It's not asking you to like your karma. They have nothing to do with preference. You notice that when you read them, they've got nothing to do with like, thank goodness. <laughs> they go way past like, they go way past space time. They live outside of that. And so it's nice because we don't have to change our likes. We're not asked to like that which we don't. Isn't that nice? We're not asked to change our preferences. In Zen, we don't vow to like everything. But we do vow to love everything. In Zen, we vow to love everything. We vow to be in relationship in a healing way with everything. That's love. It's kind of a crazy thing, right? You don't have to like everything, but you got to love it. Oof. So your own practice of actualizing that vow, of meeting the heartbreak that shows up in your chest, the pain that shows up in your body, ah, the constrictions that show up in your pattern of thought, you're meeting those with some acceptance, with some kindness, with some recognition, with some allowing, someday with some empathy, someday even with some compassion. There it is. That's the activity of Buddha. Right there, there's your blue lotus, opening and spreading. Right in the center of your chest, right in the midst of fire, and in the time of fire, right? So that's this here now. That's this. Do you feel the immediacy of that? That's why I love that he wrote this, you know, 800 years ago, but it's still like, yep, place of fire, time of fire, still right here. Place that is free and outside of that, still right here. Got it. That's why this resonates with me as capital T truth. Like, yep. This one lives outside of space-time. This here now, your heart, your life, your karma, exactly, exactly as it is. Exactly as it is. When Suzuki Roshi said, you have exactly the right number of problems. Exactly the right number. Please don't ask for more. Please don't ask for less. You have exactly the right amount of suffering. That's our faith in the human realm in Buddhism, if you want to study the realms, the human realm is the one that has just the right mix of freedom and suffering. Just the right recipe, just the right Petri dish for Buddhist practice. The world of fire, right? The human realm. So meeting your own samsara with your Buddha. Just meeting your own suffering with your compassion. This here now. You don't have to wait for later. That becomes immediate, right? So we don't have to try to attain other circumstances or a different heart or a different place or a different time. There's no attaining needing needed, right? 
And there's that word again, attain. Uh, I'll do a little side note. Just This is just a little digression, just because that word really gets me every time. The word attain is found a lot in Zen literature, which is a pity, frankly, because it does not belong anywhere in Zen. It has no business here. The word attain at best is like unskillful translation, right? At worst, it's a complete misunderstanding of the very heart of a really beautiful tradition, right? Like what definition of attain could possibly be of use to us? in this setting? What definition of attain could possibly be helpful in our practice, like to succeed or achieve or arrive at or grasp or possess? I mean, do you feel that? Like what, what? No, 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 no. Right, from a Zen point of view, all of that is garbage. Nope, wrong, <laughs> leaving that out, thank you very much. Please, when you notice that word in Zen literature, just mentally translate it into something else or just pitch it. It's just, it will only hurt you. Right, attainment and that idea it ultimately is just Maya or illusion. It, it's not not helpful. Attainment, it's a false god. So you can sacrifice that false god. <laughs> okay, sacrifice that false god on the on the uh, altar of your awareness. That just means see it with some kindness and go. Oh, <laughs> I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. Mara is the one who promises attain. Isn't it delicious? All the specialness that'll come from possessing and grasping. I see you. Oh, off he goes. <laughs> He'll be back again later, but off he goes. Okay. I got to start wrapping up here. So um, back to our little verse. Back to January 2022. This is our, this is our short little life. This is our short little precious life, our time in the human realm, right? Our understanding is this is when uh, we have the chance to do practice. We can do practice when we're in the human realm. In the hell realms, it's too, it's too hard. It hurts too much. In the heaven realms, we're not motivated. It's a horrible place, the heaven realm. It's a horrible place, the hell realm, the animal realm, the fighting. This talk isn't about the realms. In the human realm, we have a chance to do actual practice. And it's a very precious chance. It's a very rare chance and it doesn't last very long. Surely you figured out your life is really short, as short as a half taken breath, as Rumi says. And so the invitation of Zen is for you to be the kind of priest confessor to yourself. We all get to do that. You know what priest confessors like that, the one who listens. Right? That archetypal listener, the one who listens, the one who listens, the instruction of Zen, it just tells us, Zen tells us, I, you know, sit down and do the posture and line yourself up and set your timer. And then I want you, Zen says, I want you to please be the priest confessor to yourself. I want you please to remember that you are a decent and gentle and kind witness to whatever you are shown. You're going to go into that sacred space. And you're going to be a witness and you're going to be a decent and a gentle and a kind witness to whatever you are shown because a burning world is going to show itself to you. A world on fire is going to show itself to you because we enact karma. That's what will show up. The invitation of Zen is 
please just listen. Please just listen. Don't turn away with your true self, your patient self, your spacious self, your Buddha nature. Listen. Listen with love, patience. It's okay. It's okay. And I don't need to tell you that because that part of yourself knows it's okay. That part of yourself is okayness, right? Just bear witness to what shows up. All that's ever going to show itself to you there is you. That's all that's ever going to show up. That's all that's ever going to show up. All you will ever encounter, all you will ever encounter in this short, precious life is you. It's all you will ever encounter, right? So as you sit down and you do your practice, whether you're on a cushion doing it fancy and calling it Zazen or just paying attention to your experience as you're driving your car or taking a walk, notice your thoughts will tell you of their pain. You will see that, right? They're, you're going to watch them. They'll create problems and then they're going to try to solve them. That's what they do. They're going to tell stories. Some of those stories are kind. Some of those stories are so cruel. The thoughts are going to chatter. They're going to wander. They're going to imagine. Just listen. That's all. You can do that. Just listen. Don't feed them. Don't scold them. Don't ask for more. Don't ask for less. Right? The kind priest confessor doesn't do that. Just listens. Yep. There they are. There they are. With patience, listen. With curiosity, listen. Like the kind witness you are. You can do that. You've done that. Of course you've done that. Everybody's done that. That's what your thoughts are going to do. Your emotions are right underneath those thoughts. And they're going to tell you of their pain too. They're going to tell you of their joys also. But we tend to focus on the difficulty because this is Zen and the easy stuff is easy. Right? The harder stuff is where we put most of our effort because it's harder. <laughs> so you'll start to notice the activity of emotion telling you of its pain. All the no's, all the way no shows up. Self-doubt, confusion. Anger, sadness, hurt, shame, grief. Yeah. Lonely will arise. Sadness will speak. Anger is going to talk about what it's scared of. Fear is going to tell you the way it's been hurt before. Behind all that will be shame. Just feel it. That's your nature. Just feel it. It's okay. You can feel that. You're big now. You're Buddha now. You can feel that. That's fine. Don't attach. Don't avoid. Same thing again. Don't grab onto the good, push away. No, no, just listen. Just feel. You can do that. Patient, curious, like the kind of witness you are. Underneath that, your body, your body shows up. The people who are in retreat this weekend are noticing all of these layers. This is about the time, the third day is when the body really starts, for most of us, getting a little more insistent with his messages. Right? The back starts to hurt, the knees start to hurt, the gut starts to churn. We start to notice certain emotions cause our hearts to constrict. Certain thoughts create emotions that cause our chest to get tight. The body speaks. So you just listen. You just feel it. More karma. More world on fire right down there. Lots of old karma, right? cause and effect. Past. A lot of past is there. A lot of memories are there. Again, we just feel it. We're so big. We just allow these things to arise. 
I feel it. I know it. I don't attach. I don't avoid. I don't need to push anything away. I can be very curious. Very, very curious. What memories might be there? What pain is there? How can I care for it? Right? This is an acting Buddha. This is the blue lotus. This is being Buddha. Right? Being compassion, being wisdom. It's the only thing. You know, this is you being Buddha to the only thing you can be Buddha to, which is you. You can only be Buddha to you. So this is you doing that. This is what this looks like. It's very ordinary, actually. It's extraordinary and miraculous. It's the activity of enlightenment itself. And it's also very ordinary because it looks like a person sitting still long enough for their life, life to catch up with them and then deciding to be kind to that life. That's it. Pretty ordinary, right? And it includes back pain and emotions we don't want and thoughts that are boring. Yeah. And when it shows up and you meet it with kindness, ta-da, that's complete activity. That's what Zen calls complete activity or the realm beyond karma. Do you feel how you're in relationship to karma? Do you feel how you're the one who's in relationship to the world on fire? Do you feel like you're, do you understand, do you see how you're the one who's relating to it from a place outside of it, beyond it? This is the blue lotus blooming in the time of fire and in the place of fire. The activity of enlightenment. The activity of enlightenment. And that means nothing has to go. Nothing has to be left out or excluded or avoided or disowned or amputated. Enlightenment means including all of it. It means loving relationship with all of it. That's why Zen says you're going to need to love everything. You don't need to like it, but we ain't here to do that. We're here to love it. You feel how all of it is included? And of course, all of it can fit without any problem at all, because your awareness, your consciousness, what you really are, your enlightened nature is huge beyond all possible imagining, beyond space, <laughs> beyond time, Doesn't have boundaries, literally, no limits, no gaps, radical acceptance and total inclusion are no problem at all. They're extra, actually, those ideas. Zen is an extra idea, too, actually, but... That's another talk for another day. Your true nature holds all of it so easily, with such care, with such tenderness, with such joy. <laughs> right? So to actually do this practice, it takes great humility. If we're going to see all the parts of ourselves, woofta, <laughs> we got to be willing to see all the parts of ourselves. Especially when I realize I'm the world. There are parts of the world that are very, very difficult to own. Very difficult to own. Have you noticed that? How badly you want to say, not me. That sure ain't me. I would never go there. I would never do that. Do you feel it? Ooh, I don't want that part of my karma. I know. It's my karma too. And it is my karma. And it is yours. That's why this practice takes great humility, great humility, and great courage. It takes great strength to sit still and see it, to sit still and feel it, to sit still and face it. It takes great patience because it's a long road, and it's a quiet highway, and it's so lonely. And we include that too. Hi, lonely. Yep. I will meet you with my true nature, who I already am, who I've been since before Buddha since before my grandparents were born, since before the Big Bang. That's the way we'll talk about it in our, our new koan literature. Before the Big Bang, what was your face, right? So nothing special. 
That's why you can do it because it's nothing special and it's no problem. I hope that's of encouragement. That's what I take out of this. That's what I take out of this crazy short passage is him saying, here's the place of fire. Here's the time of fire. We enact it. We accept it. I get it. Now let's get on with the business. Let's get on with the family business, which in Zen is the activity of compassion, the activity of wisdom. We call it enlightenment. Let's meet all of this with acceptance and curiosity, with compassion and wisdom. Let's fall in love with all of it. And of course, we're not in hell anymore, are we? Yeah. All right. I thank you. Um, I thank you for your attention today. Um, I thank you for your practice. Whether you've been here a long time or whether you're just visiting us this morning for the first time, thank you. Um, we're not gonna have any discussions or questions today because we're in retreat. So uh, those of us who are in the retreat are gonna pop off of this uh, Zoom room and into another Zoom room. Um, but I will turn the proceedings now uh, back over to Steve. Thank you very much.